there's a lot of red out there today. I'm saving my red for a couple weeks from now, hopefully, is the deal. We'll see. Um, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, please. And uh, give, I'm going to give you some background to this. But first, I want to tell you about two very important ladies in my life. Um, I didn't know them uh, a few years ago. They're my daughters-in-law. And I have two sons, if you don't know that. I have two sons. They've both been married within the last several years. And so we've gotten to know a young lady named Tyler uh, from Smithville. We already knew her, but now she's married to my oldest son. And then a girl named Rayland, who's from Mount Vernon, Missouri. And uh, it's weird when your son comes home from college and says, I met a girl and you don't know anything about her or her family or whatever. And so you start investigating and stalking on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Um, both darling girls, um, Christ followers, couldn't be happier for their situations. Um, one of the, and, and I never had daughters, obviously I had two sons, but I love these girls. And part of the reason why I love them is what they bring out of my sons. If you've had sons marry, like, they're, they're too cool to, to smile or, or, or giggle or, or hug or say lovey-dovey stuff until they meet that girl. And then all of a sudden, like, who is this kid that grew up in my house? He's totally different. These girls bring something out. They, because of them, I know that they bring so much to my sons that they're that much more important to me, right? Uh, I love them because they love my son, and my sons love them. And on top of that, they're great people and all that kind of stuff. But that's really the heart of a lot of this. This morning, as we talk about church and the people of God being the bride of Christ, just like that, if you love Jesus, you need to love his bride, okay? Think of that relationship, how, how disconnected it is to say, I love and follow Jesus, but I don't love his bride. And so we're going to look at that. I, I wrestled with this uh, truthfully, too. I, I told somebody earlier this morning, I almost didn't preach this sermon because there is a distinction in the Bible, and I just want to be, we want to handle the Bible accurately, okay? We're going to read from Ephesians, and certainly there is a husband-wife relationship between Christ and the church. There's also a distinction in Scripture, and I just want to keep this in mind, of the bride being the nation of Israel, okay? And we're grafted in, and the people of God, and, and I know there's a distinction there. I don't want to confuse the two, but I do want to settle on the idea that we are Christ's spouse in some form or fashion. At least that's the imagery that's presented out there. So we're going to use this word bride, knowing there's distinctions along the way, and that, and that that's okay. So we're, we're grafted into that, and I get all that, but um, there's a lot of debate online of whether we should call ourselves the bride or not, and I'm going with it because Jesus talks about loving the church. And so let's read in, well, don't read yet, thank you. Um, I want you to get two things out of this morning. I want you to, one, understand how much Jesus Christ loves his bride, okay? He loves us, and he is, we're going to see, given. I also want you to love his bride as much as he loves his bride, okay? Uh, I, those are my two things. So make sure you know Jesus really loves us, but make sure you really love the church. And so now let's read in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, 
but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. We looked at that imagery a few weeks ago. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but what I am talking about is Christ and the church. Now, back to that idea of us loving the church. There's a, uh, this will date me a little bit, but you know, the, you know the, the acronym or whatever, WWJD, right? You know what that stands for? What would Jesus do? Throw up the next verse there, if you would, Ken. What would Jesus do? He would love the church and give himself up for her. So we can't say we're a follower of Jesus and not love his bride and give ourselves up for her. If you want to say WWJD, then that's, that's part of what we're talking about here. In John, um, well, again, for Ephesians 5, 25 or so, Christ loved the church, gave himself, cleanses her, all that kind of stuff. Look at what John says uh, in chapter 3 of John. You yourselves can testify, this is John the Baptist, that I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and now it is now complete. And then here's the verse everybody knows. He must become greater, and I must become less. It's about the bridegroom and coming for his bride. Matthew 9 the John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So certainly this imagery of a bride and what Christ means to the church and the church means to Christ is all through scripture, right? So I'm going to ask us to pray. I'm going to lead you in, in prayer this morning, and I want you to be, I thought of this this week, we, had, we went to a conference, but I don't pray on your behalf, if that makes any sense. Hopefully I'm leading you in pray. so join me in this, ask God to, to speak to you and watch over this as we, we do this. Okay, let's, let's pray. God, help us to see this um, picture of us being your, your spouse, your, your bride, the one you love and gave yourself up for, uh, the one you wash and cleanse, you feed and nourish. God, help us that to sink in, that you, you love us like that. God, also help us to love your bride. If we are your followers, God, just dig into our hearts this morning and help us to see um, our attitude, our, our um, longing for the bride to be all that she can be and our role in that. So God, speak to us through your word, please, in Jesus' name, amen. The other reason I almost didn't preach this sermon today is because there's all kinds of stuff. There, I could, uh, starting from Genesis to Revelation, there's this picture of a relationship between Christ and God and his people. And I was overwhelmed with the amount of scripture. So there are lots of screens today. Lot, you can flip with me if you can, but good luck keeping up. I want to paint a big picture of what it means that God interacts with his people as a husband does his bride. And so the first point is, we are an unlikely, unlikely couple. I have in my notes, and I, again, last week you all raised your hands when I really wanted to be more anonymous, but this would be a good time, men, to raise your hands. Any of you marry up 
Yeah, all right, guys, uh, th- this is a hint, you know, just, yeah. Um, you know what that means, right? That, that you don't deserve them, uh, that they're better. Than, and I, cert- I certainly married up. Um, she's not here today, but this goes out on the internet, so that makes me look good. No, it's true. It's true. My, I've told you before, my mom thinks, and she's right, Janice saved my life in many ways, so I'm, I'm sure of that. But when it comes to a holy, perfect God marrying anybody, you need to understand that that bride is marrying up, that, that God is the perfect groom, if you will. And so that's point A, is he's perfect. There is nothing, you can't come to God in this relationship we have with him and say, well, somehow he's limited or he's has shortcomings, or if only he would change in this way. That's not true of God. And so the verses I'll throw up, Isaiah 53, 9, speaking of Christ in advance, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Okay? Didn't, didn't say one wrong word. For 2 Corinthians 5, 21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ knew no sin. 1 John 3, 5. But you know that he appeared so that we might take, so he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For we know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, right? Totally perfect. Hebrews 7, 26. We have such a high priest that truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. And so we have this picture of our groom, if you will, our bridegroom, of being totally perfect, no flaws, nothing we can point at in counseling and say, well, if he didn't do this, I wouldn't do that, right? That is, he's, he's perfect. He's the, he's the exact husband that, that we need. But switching to point B is she was promiscuous, okay? And I'll flesh this out in scripture. But if you'll remember when we talked about the body being a picture of the church, I think we mentioned that the body, like my body, aches and whines and groans, that our body's not perfect yet. Christ is strengthening it. When we talked about the building last week, we talked about it being a construction zone. It's not the perfect house. It's under construction. And when it comes to the bride, you need to understand this. She ain't perfect yet. Okay? He is clean, Jesus is cleansing and, and, and going to present us to himself without blemish, but we're not there yet. We are a bride in progress, and we came a long way according to scripture, because we were promiscuous. And here's the story that the scriptures paint of the nation of Israel and the people of God. Hosea 1-2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. I could read that whole chapter and you guys would blush, okay? You don't need to go read it. Well, you do, but not, I'm not going to read it here today. God told one of his prophets deliberately, go marry a promiscuous woman because I want people to understand what they're doing to me. And it was idolatry and they were basically marrying other gods, if you will. And God wanted to show that picture. So Hosea plays that role. Back in chapter two, and I took this out of the living Bible because it's a little tamer for our audience this morning. Plead with your mother for she has become another man's wife. 
I am no longer her husband. Beg her to stop her harlotry and quit giving herself to others. Now God chose to marry these people, but he knew that she was promiscuous. Ezekiel 16.8, I gave you a solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So he made a covenant with this promiscuous woman, but it goes on to say in Ezekiel 16, you became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. So God had blessed them, done everything he could. Had, and there's, there's all kinds of stories in the prophets about this. Built her up, gave her beauty, and she began to think of herself we begin to think of ourselves more than because of the gifts of God and we start using those gifts and using that beauty and using those resources for everything except our husband. The skills and the talents and the money and everything we have, we start spending everywhere except focused on the bride of Christ or focused on Christ. And so it's an unlikely couple. If, if, uh, if you were to write this story, this is a Cinderella story or something like that, uh, Beauty and the Beast kind of stuff. It's like one's perfect, one's not. And that's how God brings us together. Point two, it's a unilateral commitment. Because one is perfect and one is not, and, and God uh, was very patient with his people, you might think, well, it's over, right? And there are passages where God divorces his people. But when he brings a new covenant, there's a, this is such a story. The old covenant is broken by Israel. And that's why God starts promising there'll be a new covenant. If, if you've been to marriages, some that, that I do and others have done, the marriage is more than a promise. It's a covenant before God and people that you're going to stay committed. What God has to do, because we don't stay committed, is he has to make a covenant with himself, basically saying that I don't care what you do, I'm not letting you go. And so the new covenant comes in where it's all one-sided. In the Old Testament, if, if you do the right things, you're blessed and not blessed. And what happens is Jesus says, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to be your husband. I'm going to win you back. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to cleanse you. And I'm going to bring you back. But um, this is a give and take through the scriptures. And so Exodus 24, see if you can pick this up. When Moses went out, he's at Mount Sinai and all this. When Moses went out and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one word. Or one voice. See if this sounds familiar, maybe in a wedding ceremony. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Okay? We've narrowed that down to I do. What God is doing there in the Old Testament is saying, I want to be your husband. I want to be your, uh, your provider. I want to be, and they say, I do. Right? And then it goes on to say, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood of the offerings and sacrificed the young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls. And all I think I just read that twice. Uh, Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has told us. We will obey. I do again. Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this blood is the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So there was a covenant ceremony. Hosea 2 again. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. 
You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from your lips. That's who she was prostituting with. No longer will their names be invoked. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Remember, he's talking to a promiscuous woman there. He's saying the day's going to come. Well, I will marry you and you will claim me, not all these other gods. Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. He's pointing to when Jesus comes because they can't keep it in the Old Testament. Couple more, Isaiah 54. Do not be afraid, do not be put to shame, do not be, fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated, for you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, said your God. For a brief moment, I abandon you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. I will, in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with kind, everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So you just, this is a love story, right? One more Isaiah. Isaiah 62, the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain silent. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all your, the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be cr the crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in his hand of your God. No longer will you be called deserted or your name desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. I'll tell you what that means here in a second. And your land Beulah, which means married, for the Lord will take delight in you. That's what Hezbollah means. Not Hezbollah, Hezbollah. And your land will be married. That's what Beulah means. As a young woman marries a young, as a young man marries a young woman, so your builder, your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. So you see how she was promiscuous? But he made a covenant. He said, I promise I'm going to do this. Yes, I rejected you for a while. I'm going to bring you back. No longer will you be called desolate, you'll be called the one I desire. No longer will you be called unmarried, you're going to be called married to me. Well, that cost him something, so that's point B. We've seen these verses before, Acts 20, 28. Speaking to the churches, uh, the elders in Ephesus, he says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This covenant cost Jesus. Last week when we took the Lord's Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood. Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. This was not just some simple, you know, uh, dowry. This was not some marriage price. This was with his very life. Jesus took us as his bride. He paid for it on his own unilateral um, commitment there. Thirdly, 
the unknown consummation. Here's how the uh, uh, wedding would work back then. You're probably familiar with this. Think of when Joseph said to young Mary when they found out she was pregnant, he thought that he would divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't find any shame. The way it worked back then um, is uh, uh, usually the fathers would arrange a wedding and they would come to an agreement. And so at that moment, the young man and the young woman are engaged. They're not, they don't consummate the marriage. What happens is the young man goes home, prepares a home for his wife, and then comes back to town to get her at some point in the future. They don't know when that's going to happen. And so when Jesus tells parables about be ready, that's what's going on. So there's about a year-long process here. And our problem or our struggle is we know we're married to God, but we're not sure when he's coming to take us home. Or we're not sure when he's coming to make his home with us, when he returns or we die. We're not sure about that time, and so we have to wait for that to happen. And so point A I have is look for the bridegroom. If we are the bride of Christ, we are engaged, if you will, to use our language, to God who's coming to get us, we need to be looking for him. We need to be watching for him. Matthew 25, 13, and I'm not going to read both the, par or the parables, but he says, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Okay? We could be taken home right now. Jesus could come back right now. We don't know when that's going to happen. All we know is we're covenant with him until he comes back. There's, a, there's parables in most of the Gospels about uh, young maidens who aren't ready because their oils aren't filled. Or men who come to the wedding feast and, and they're not wearing the clothes provided by the king. And it's, it's all kinds of people who claim to be the bride of or committed to Christ and they're not ready. They're not living like it. They're not watching for it. And so it says, look for him. Keep your eye on the sky, if you will, and wait for Christ's return. What we get wrong, I think, is the idea of what it means to wait for the Lord. That's not a passive word. It's not... Okay, I can't wait to sit on a big cushy chair with my feet up and watch a football game and probably doze off a little bit today. I can't wait. But that's not what this waiting is. This waiting is like a waiter at a banquet. It's waiting. Whatever God says we do now, when we wait for the Lord, we wait on the Lord. And so when, we're, when I say look for the bridegroom, I'm not saying just hope he comes back today. It's living like he could come back today and doing everything you can to invite people to the banquet. It's waiting on the Lord in that sense. And so we should be looking for the bridegroom. I told you this morning, yeah, earlier this morning, I want you to know Christ really loves you. He gave his life for you. I also want you to really love the bride. And so this is where we come back to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll read it again, and I want to highlight a few things for you, just so you know. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Christ loves the church. He gave himself up for her. And remember, WWJD. If Christ loved the church, we should love the church. If Christ gave himself up for her, we should give ourselves up for her, right? To make her holy and cleansing her by the washing. We should do everything we can to be pure and make sure the people around us are pure. Not in a pharisaical way, but coming alongside, helping people deal with sin. Okay? Uh, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish and holy and blameless. We should live that kind of life. Same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. We should be feeding and caring for this thing we call the church, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. 
Um, go ahead. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. We are connected intimately with, the, with Christ through the church. I want you to understand this. It's not just lone. We are united with him together. Um, we become one flesh. For this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and his church. That become one flesh thing. Um, when Paul was persecuting the church, and Jesus stopped him. And what did he say? Saul, Saul. He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? What did he say? Why are you persecuting me? And so if you have something bad to say or have a, uh, not even bad to say, but an indifferent view of the bride, you're affecting the groom. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to use names, but he knows who he is. A, a person in our church this morning accidentally hit another woman in our lobby with his Bible. And he said, I thought it was somebody else, okay? Well, about the time that happened, her husband walked in. Now, he didn't see it happen. There was not a fist fight or anything like that, but it was just a funny little episode. I knew I was going to tell this part about my story was when I was much younger, I uh, refereed, or not refereed, I uh, coached freshman basketball at Lafayette High School for one year and one year only. And we started out bad. We were like one in five to start the season. And poor Jana couldn't go to the games. Why? Because the parents are in the stands bad-mouthing who? The coach, right? And rightly so, probably. We were one in five at the moment. But that's hard to hear somebody talk about or hit your spouse. And so when we come to how do we love the church, what does that look like? If we don't love the church, we're not loving what Christ loves. Um, I was helped by this by uh, Colin Smith, a guy listening on the radio. He brought in at this point Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. Okay? And he started saying, listen, if we're to love the church the way we're supposed to love our wives, our, the way we're supposed to love our wives the way Christ loves the church, let's give some very tangible things to do here. So this is an exercise. This is a big part of your application this morning. On the right in the yellow is what Gary Chapman calls the five love languages. And if you don't know this, um, what it means is um, people have different love languages. Jan and I know each other's, and so um, I like to operate in mine, and she likes to operate in hers, and they're different. So sometimes she may be showing me love, but I don't appreciate it because I don't talk that language. You know, I got a different language and vice versa. So it's a big deal. But what Colin Smith and Gary Chapman did is they took these five love languages and they applied it not to your marriage, but to your church. And so this is, again, an exercise for you. First of all, words of affirmation. How do you talk about the church? Do, are you, do you speak well of your church? And I, and I want to say this. I like this church and I think most of you like this church. But the church in general, or other churches you've been in, or maybe even this one, do you speak well against it? Or are you the critical person in the stands sitting next to the groom or the spouse saying bad things about it? And so just an exercise, do I speak well about the church? Do I speak critical about the church? And I would throw this in, do I speak at all about the church? Wouldn't it be a problem if I'm married to my wife for 30-some years and I've lived in this community for 20-some years and nobody even knows I'm married? right? Oh, I didn't know you had a spouse. Well, I would hope you would. People should know that you're married to Christ. You're part of his bride. The second one is the gift, uh, the love language of gifts. This comes to your giving. This is one of the ways we express love is we give resources. And, and you guys have been very generous. We've just been through the budgeting process and we know that. 
But all of us need to examine, am I a giver to the bride of Christ? Or do I use that over, you know, like, do I kind of gauge my, the way I like the church based on if I'm going to give a lot or not give a lot? You need to make a commitment. God chose to marry us. And so how's your giving? Thirdly, is physical touch is the love language. And um, just being present is the idea. And I don't mean... Um, well, I, I, mean, I do mean showing up on Sundays. That's good. The average Christian today, uh, if they say I go to church, they really mean I go once a month, once or twice a month. Um, as I went through this, I thought, man, how would my marriage be if I treated my wife the way I treat the bride of Christ? If I only showed up every once in a while, I really didn't give her anything. I never had anything nice to say. That, that would be a bad marriage. And that image reworks a little bit. So you're here today, so I can't yell at you, but thank you for being here. Make that a commitment. And then time. I don't mean just attendance here. He calls it quality time, right? You're attentive. You're here. You're engaged. You're participating. You're, it's not something you just check off your schedule. It's like, this is important to me. And not only, again, relating to my marriage, I could spend a whole lot of time with my wife, but if I never say a word to her or never listen to anything she says, that's not much of a marriage. And so you have that aspect. And then you have acts of service. Are you involved in ministry? Are you doing something to help the bride get ready, to wash her and cleanse her and feed her and care for her the way Christ does the church? I was helped by those. Thirdly, point C is, are you listed in the book? At one point I had to hear, are you logged into the book? So your outline may look a little different. Um, I, I have in my mind going to a wedding and the, the, the book is there and you sign the book. Um, I'm not talking to tenants here. I'm talking about what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life. And here's how Revelation 21 puts it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So this gets to the point, how do you become part of the bride? You don't just show up to the wedding. In fact, Revelation says you won't get to the wedding, but you need to make sure your name is on the registry. Uh, if I was going to use the login version, the digital version, I say make sure you have an account, okay? And just so you know, the, the account password is Jesus. So the way you get on the list is you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is not, I know he's a good guy, he's a great teacher. You have confessed that you are a sinner needing a Savior, and he saved you. And you ought ask him to save you. He will, and then he's responsible for the marriage part, and he will wash you and cleanse you and feed you and care for you and mature you. But make sure your name's on the list. This is not, uh, again, being through two weddings recently, you start worrying about how many people can we invite because the reception hall only holds so many people, or the, right? You needed to have an RSVP. You needed to be on that list. And Jesus has sent you the invita invitation. If, he, if you haven't gotten it, let me give it to you now. You are invited to the wedding of the Lamb. Okay? Your RSVP is to say, I accept that invitation. If you've never done that, then you're, all you have is a piece of paper at home that says, I could go if I wanted to. And you'll show up like one of those parables, not dressed in the righteousness of Christ, and you will be thrown out. Accepting Jesus Christ puts your name on the list. Make sure you're on the list. Okay? Then fourthly is the unending celebration. We get to live with our groom forever and ever and ever and ever. When Jan and I first got married, um, 
we lived in an apartment. We got married December 12th, okay? And January 1, I started a job down at Lake of the Ozarks. So we had in my, what do you do from December 12th to January 1, okay? We weren't about to get married and not live together for 18, 19 days, okay? We had a home at the lake we were moving to, but we weren't going to live in separate houses in St. Joseph, Missouri for 18 or 19 days. So we got an apartment for a month. I lived in it for the first 12 days of the month, and then on day 13, my wife lived with me, and I realized I was married because things started changing all of a sudden. Um, But we get to live with Jesus forever, okay? Now we're separated, we're waiting for his return, but we get to reside with him, and here's what Revelation 21 says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. See, we should long to spend our days forever with our, bro- our groom. And we're promised that we get to live with him forever. When Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go and prepare a home for you, a place for you. That's the imagery of the scriptures. Secondly, point B, it's going to be a good time. There will be rejoicing. And this is Revelation 19, 6 and following. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And fine linen, bright and clean, were given to her to wear. Those fine linens stand for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Again, I hope you've received that invitation and you've returned it. And then Revelation 21, 9, one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Okay. We are married to Jesus Christ because of his commitment. We were wayward. He won us back. He's washing us and someday he will return. Here's the applications. And I've, I've listened. One, make sure you're listed in the book. You do not want to miss that day. Because the alternative is not, oh, I didn't get to go to the wedding. The alternative is you are thrown out into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you are condemned for your sins because you did not accept the one who died for your sins. Remember, he gave himself up for you. He had to. He was the perfect sacrifice. So make sure you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you've given your life to him, that you've accepted that free gift of salvation. If you don't know how to do that, I would love to talk to you, and I hope there's plenty of people around here that would love to talk to you about that. Secondly, are you looking for the bridegroom? Don't be caught unaware. You need to live each day, each moment, like this could be the moment. Um, it's, it's, weddings, again, are funny, and the, the, the ladies take a lot longer to get ready than the guys, Right? Uh, wedding day, guys are often out playing golf or doing something while the ladies are getting their makeup and their hair and the dress, all the stuff that goes on. I, I don't even know what it is. The ladies got it right on this one. 
That's their big day. They want to be ready. And too many of us don't think like that. We think, okay, I'm on the list. I'm just going to live whatever. No, we need to be waiting for the Lord's return, doing whatever we can to make him look good and anticipate and live holy lives ourselves, all that fight sin, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you're looking for the bridegroom. And thirdly, make sure you should be loving the bride. Those things, I, I, words of affirmation, all those things, make sure you're doing those things. Um, Christ deserves it. His bride deserves it. And he's placed us here to do those things. And so I pray that that's struck home with you. Again, I hope you know Jesus loves you desperately. And I hope you love his bride desperately as well. Okay, let's pray. God, what a, a picture you've given us. Um, and thank you. Um, I do pray, God, that we would appreciate the length you went to win us over. We are that unfaithful woman taking all the blessings you've given us and, and using it everywhere except for you. And so God, help us to see where we're not um, in love with you and your bride. God, in, in the practical ways we talked about, but more than that, just a, a heartfelt love for your church. And I thank you, God, that you gave your life for us, that you are busy washing and feeding and caring for us. And please, God, help us to do the same. God, we were, again, that promiscuous person in sin and not focused on you but you won us over you bought us and help us to live like it may you get glory in all this i pray in jesus name amen